We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapters 4 and 5. And the last time we saw David ascending to the throne, uh, but he had a little setback, well, it was a major setback, with one of his captains, Joab, murdering Abner, who was trying to broker this peace deal. Uh, and tonight we're going to see that David finally ascends to the entire throne, you know, all Israel collectively, collectively, but it's not without its difficulties. So starting with verse 1. And when Saul's son, meaning Ishbosheth, heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost heart. And all Israel was troubled. Now Saul's son had two men who were captains of troops. The name of one was Bana, and the name of the other was Rechab the son of Rimmon, the Beerothite, of the children of Benjamin. For Beeroth also was part of Benjamin, because the Beerothites fled to Gittim and had been sojourners there until this day. So the Bible gives a lot of facts. That's what I love about that. You know, if you're going to lie, if you're going to pretend something, you've got to be very vague. Because if somebody questions you on it, you, know, you don't want to get caught. So the beauty of the Bible is it gives locations, it talks about history, talks about you know, some of the migration with some of the tribes, and, and, and archaeologists have used this to uncover uh, civilizations that the Bible spoke about many years later, sometimes thousands of years. But King Ishbosheth, Saul's son, he was the king of Israel, um, not, it was against God's will, and he was troubled. They lost Abner, one of their greatest, you know, Abner was really the... You know, the, the underlying force behind that northern kingdom. So he's murdered. Israel's trouble. The king is troubled. And the truth is that David never intended to make war with all of Israel. He intended to group them in as a shepherd to take care of his flock that God had entrusted him to. But the people were scared. Um, verse 4. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. So his name was Mephibosheth. Then the sons of Rimmon, the Berethite, Reshab, and Bana set out and came at about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who was lying on his bed at noon, taking a little nap. And they came there all the way into the house as though to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Reshab and Bana, his brother, escaped. For when they came into the house, he was lying on his bed in his bedroom. Then they struck him and killed him, beheaded him, and took his head, and were all night escaping through the plain. And they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron and said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. And the Lord has avenged my lord, the king, this day of Saul and his descendants. So you got these two guys, these two characters. Uh, they have a position in the military. They pretend they're going to go get wheat. They go into the palace. Ishbosheth is laying on his bed. They kill him and they take his head off, which is pretty gross. Uh, but the Bible doesn't sugarcoat. It says what happened. It gives accurate history. And this is how they killed this man. And they thought that they were going to get a blessing from David, but they got dead instead. <laughs> it was a bad idea on their part. <clears throat> and really... You know, you're going to see a lot in this, these last few chapters. Oh, as the Lord lives, the Lord has avenged you. Man, it's almost like today. Sometimes people in the church do the same thing. They're doing the wrong thing, and they're saying, oh, the Lord told me, don't question me, you know, and it's not according to his word or his will. So these guys are acting as if they're doing some wonderful thing for David, uh, just to really to save their skin as the power struggle starts to change. Now, in verse 8, 
again, they said the Lord is avenged. Now, if that was true, why didn't they do it when Abner was around? Because everybody was afraid of Abner. <laughs> so this was really not because of the Lord. It was because they were trying to, you know, maybe jockey for a position, maybe seeing the, you know, reading the tea leaves and the, the, the direction of the wind and going to where, you know, the political winds were starting to change. But these guys were opportunists, and they used the Lord's will as a cloak for their evil. You know, I have more respect for somebody when they say to me, I'm going to take my chances. I don't need the Lord. Or, uh, or listen, I've got to do what I've got to do to take care of myself. At least they're being honest. What these guys were doing was deceptive and putting the stamp of the Lord on top of it, which, of course, it doesn't work. So I can tell you that there's a, a power vacuum, you know, and when there's a power vacuum, whether it's political, military, you can see a lot of these countries, people die. It's really sad. It happens still up to this day. It's been happening for thousands of years. Uh, so that's what you ha have now. In, in a sense, you almost feel sorry for Ishbosheth. He's a really pathetic person. He loses his father and his brothers in a war that he didn't fight in, probably because he wasn't a very good warrior. And then he allowed himself to be manipulated by Abner. And now he's in this horrible position where he's paralyzed with fear. And that's where he is. He's paralyzed. He holds himself up in the, in the palace instead of making a leadership decision. If it's really God's will, why don't you just send the messenger to David and say, listen, I relinquish the kingdom to you. But this guy's completely paralyzed. And it's kind of sad because leadership is always dynamic. It can't be static. Now, the only time that we should be static as leaders is when we're bowing ourselves and praying and seeking the Lord's will. But this guy was doing nothing. He wasn't praying. He, wasn't, he just was paralyzed and overcome with, with fear. And, of course, he gets killed. And I've got to say that, you know, today we had a really good discussion in the men's, uh, the men's breakfast or the men's, you know, devotion on Saturday. And we, we talk a lot about leadership. And, boy, we probably had an 85% participation rate when we were speaking about Proverbs 18. But, you know, as men, we need to know how to be leaders. We need to look at some of the young men and maybe train them up and teach them how they should be leaders in the right way, not according to their flesh. Verse 9. Then David answered Rechab and Bana, his brother, the sons of Rimmon, the Berethite, and said to them, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity? When someone told me, saying, look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him and had him executed in Ziklag, the one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. How much more when, a wicked, when wicked men have killed a righteous person in his own house on his bed? Could you imagine what they're feeling right now as they start to hear these words? Oh, it's not going the way we planned it would go. Therefore, shall I not now require his blood at your hand and remove you from the earth? So David commanded his young men, and they executed them, cutting off their hands and feet, and hanged them by the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner in Hebron. This, this problem going around the kingdom where people are losing body parts, and, and you know, David's got to start burying them and giving them a decent burial, except for these two guys who did this wicked deed. And in verse 9, David says, it's the Lord. The Lord's the one who always redeemed me and who helped me and protected me. Obviously, what you guys were doing, in other words, what you're doing is not from the Lord. Again, they were self-deceived. They thought that they were doing God's will, but they didn't consult them enough to check to see if they were doing God's will. And we can become self-deceived too. 
Maybe we're not going around stabbing people in the stomach and cutting their heads off. But, you know, as Christians, the word is important when we're in the word. I can't tell you how many conversations I have with people who should know better. This is what the word said. It's very clear. I could keep explaining this over and over again. Simple things. If we're not in the word and we're not in prayer, then the things that we do, we can't just say, well, because I'm a Christian, this must be God's will. No, we could be going the wrong direction. Now, David, uh, he had the bodies, most like it, it appears that they were killed first, and then he took their hands and feet off, cut them off, and uh, uh, probably is a symbol to say the hands that, that shed blood and the feet that were swift to you know, bring the head to David. But this was against proper procedures for burial in Deuteronomy 21. You know, God's people don't always get it right. However, David was making a very strong point. And his strong point was, first Abner, now Ishbosheth, and he's, he needs us to stop. So he, I guess in a sense he's uh, fighting fire with fire, and he's basically saying, I'm going to get to be the king of all Israel, not because of treachery and murder and deceit. I want to get to be the king because God has put me there. And I really don't need any of you helping me along, especially if this is the way you're going to help me. So, you know, you can look at that. Chapter 5, verse 1. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also, in time past, when Saul was the king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 42 years. In Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So now we're in chapter 5. There's going to be, as we go through this chapter, if you to go into 1 Chronicles 11, there's going to be parallel scriptures. So at, at times I'm going to just find a verse or a, an explanation and just pull it in here and give you the whole picture. I do this with the Gospels as well. Uh, so this is the coronation, the moment he's been waiting for. And some principles that we can observe here. Number one is evil men decided to take matters in their own hands, whether it was killing Abner or it was killing Ishbosheth, God used the situation for good. Now, it doesn't mean God is the author of sin, but it does mean that even when we mess up and we sin, his will will be done. It will be carried out. So that's, that's what I love about the Lord. He's not going to let someone thwart his plans. Could you imagine God going, oh, I didn't see that one coming. This is bad. <laughs> Gabriel, we're in trouble. You know what I'm saying? Never see it happen in the scripture because God knows the end from the beginning. Uh, Judas, we're, as we're paralleling John in the New Testament, Judas is the same way. He, he, he was a traitor to Jesus, but he fulfilled Scripture by doing that. But he still was held accountable for his actions. Two, it feels good to achieve something when you've earned it, when you've deserved it, or when you've waited patiently for it. And David was trying to do that. And there were others, of course, trying to help him along. Three, we need to be careful of the temptation to employ nefarious motives and politicking to get what we, what, what we believe that the Lord has shown us. You know, we don't have to help the Lord along. We don't have to become political. We don't have to do nefarious things or deeds in the dark to get our positions in life if we really trust the Lord. It's, that's being double-minded. And in verse 2, David is spoken of as 
a leader, as a shepherd of all of Israel. And we know that God groomed him. You know, he was a literal shepherd with sheep. And then as he grew up, he didn't forget those days, and God groomed him to shepherd his people, Israel. And verse 3, so the elders make a league with David. And I wonder, why didn't they do it sooner? Maybe was Abner an, an issue? You know, Abner seemed to be that pivotal point that uh, catapulted Ishbosheth into power and also maybe held the elders in dominion because they, they feared him because he was a, uh, maybe a very strong guy and they were, they were worried about him. And that should never be, never be a motivation or a, a dissenting factor for us not to follow the Lord because we're afraid of somebody, because somebody's bullying us. Never. We need to trust the Lord. And all of a sudden, everybody's coming out of the woodwork. And I don't want to be too hard on these guys, but, um, you know, this is what's going on here. David is 30 years old when he rules over Israel. Christ was believed to be right around that 30 mark. And if you look at the Old Testament priests, they also came of age at that mark uh, to serve as priests to God. And you can see some parallels here. Now, you may hear David is a type of Christ. Just be careful with that. You know, I love typology, something in the Old Testament that's a foreshadowing of the New Testament, and the New Testament fulfills that Old Testament idea. But David also was a man of, of war and blood, and you know, Christ, of course, came in humility to give his life. So I believe in typology, but I also, we can look at that one loosely. I wouldn't hold a, a very strong parallel to that. Verse 6, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. Now David said on that day, whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore they say, the the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. This is the conquest of Jerusalem. In those days, now Jerusalem, you know, the city was on a hill, surrounded by three valleys, still is. And, uh, you know, if you hold yourself up there and, you know, build a, some type of fortress, it's a good chance your enemies are not going to get to you. But again, remember, this is the Lord we're dealing with, uh, empowering David to take this city. Um, again, without aerial bombing and mortars, you're pretty safe on a high elevation. And David's army was taunted, basically saying, we don't even have to put trained soldiers on the wall because the lime and the blame will... Uh, the lame and the blind will fend you off because we're in such a secure position. Obviously, that wasn't true. Now, David had this great plan to go through uh, the water shaft or the tunnel that brought water into the city, most likely to the Gihon Springs. And we see that Hezekiah also built a, t- a tunnel uh, for that, you know, for people would escape through those tunnels. They would get water. And you had to man that tunnel in case the enemies came in there and, and kind of tunneled their way literally into your city. So this is how it's going to happen. On a historical note, um, going back when we covered Judges 1, Judges 1.8, the children of Israel had already conquered Jerusalem prior. Now some Bible scholars and commentaries say, well, there was different sections of Jerusalem, but you know, you, 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 once they get in, they can, they can take care of the whole place. Uh, so I don't unnecessarily buy that. They set the city on fire, but apparently the Jebusites rebuilt it. Remember, they were... The foreigners, they were the ones that uh, the children of Israel were supposed to, to drive out. So what you have is the promised land, and right in the center 
of the promised land were the enemy, and they fortified themselves. Now, if you allow something in your life, and we can look at even biology, if you have a wound that's not properly treated, it's washed off kind of, you know, and not really treated, the bacteria will get back in there, reinfect that wound, and make it worse than it was before. So in this situation, these guys were a picture of the flesh or a picture of sin, and they came back. They got rid of them once, but they came back. They didn't utterly destroy them. And the truth is, we need to look at our own hearts as well. Because if we have a heart for the Lord, but there are some strongholds in there, like the Jebusite stronghold, it's going to cause us problems. So it's always something to consider. You look at some of these groups and you can make the parallel, certainly with us today, as we walk with the Lord. Now, the wording, I looked at a few translations. The Hebrew is a little hard to really get. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Uh, so he wasn't, David wasn't saying, I don't like uh, blind and lame people. You know? it, was, it had to do with, it, there was wording involved, and he was using a play on words back to them. So basically, that's what you have here. First Chronicles 11 adds two things. Number one, that Joab, and you don't find this in Second uh, Samuel, it's just, you know, you look at Chronicles and it, it parallels it. Right? like the parallel Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, and John. But First Chronicles 11 gives us a little bit more insight. Number one, that Joab is the one that went in first, and he was promoted for it. And Joab also made a lot of repairs to the city uh, after the, the invasion and after the Israelites were successful. Joab was really a get-or-done type of person. I mean, Joab had military skills. He was uh, crafty. He was... Um, he was calculated at times. He apparently was good with construction. He was good with his hands. This guy, was a, he could do everything. Here's the problem. David kept him. Joab was a man of the flesh. Now, it's always nice to have people in our lives that get it done. But at what cost? Me personally, this far into my life, because I've learned a lot of hard lessons, I would prefer to have someone humble, not prideful, humble, with a little less ability, especially in ministry, which is going to go a long way. There's plenty of get-or-done type of people, but if they're lifted up with pride, all it does is cause problems in ministry. And it'll cause problems in our personal life, too. Be careful who we think that we need, because we can take that God's place, and, and God's a jealous God. If we start putting people in his place to help us, and we're not relying on him, he's going to let us have that. And it's only going to cause problems later on. So to me, rather have somebody with a little less ability, but a little more humility. Verse 9. So David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. Then David built all around from the Milo and inward. So David went on and became great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons. And they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. So David, he conquers Jerusalem. He reinforces it, right? And whenever there's a war, things get messed up, broken up and such. So this is what had to happen, the reconstruction. But David had to deal with the Jebusites before, before he could do all these things. Now, the children of Israel were either one of three things, too weary, 
to deal with the Jebusites, too fearful or too lazy. There's really not a fourth option. All right? David trusted the Lord, and for that he was successful. God says all throughout his words, test me. If you trust me, you'll be prosperous, and not necessarily material wealth, as some claim. And if you don't believe in me, there's not a whole... Even Jesus said there were many cities that he couldn't do miracles because people just wouldn't believe. So he didn't stay there, he left. How sad, you know? We have to look at our lives as well, strongholds. It's always good to look in the mirror and see what those strongholds are. And you know, we know. I think everyone in this room, including me, if we really stop and think about it, we know some of the strongholds. We know some of the Jebusites. We know that there's a high, plat- a high plain of Jerusalem that we haven't gone up and we know we have to go up and take that. It was it Caleb who said when he was in his 80s, he goes, I can still do it. He let everybody get the, the, uh, the portion and he said, at 80 years old, I'm going up that hill. I'm going to fight those Canaanites and I'm going to take my portion. I love his spirit. Here's a man who never quit. And in some ways, he was even a better man than Joshua. He was like one of those unsung kind of heroes. 11 and 12. So here's Hiram. If you, in your mind, you can picture Israel and, and a little further to the west as the Philistines. As you go further north on the Mediterranean coastline, you run into this place where Hiram was the king, right? This Tyre and Sidon area. So Hiram recognizes David as the king. He probably is really happy because the Philistines are his neighbors too. He's probably really happy that David has given them a hard time because it makes it easier for him, you know, because the, the, the Philistines had to fight a, a two-front war, maybe a third front if the Egyptians were involved. So he's, he's blessing David. But I'll tell you this as well. When the Lord is with you, people notice. They do. When the Lord is with you and, and me, people notice. They ask questions. They want to bless you. You know, they want to acknowledge that the Lord is working in your life. I love that. Verse 13. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Also, more sons and daughters were born to David. Now these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphalet. I love those names. I like Eliphalet. My next pet's going to be called Eliphalet. <laughs> now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David, king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to, his, to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal Perizim and defeated, David defeated them there, and he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal Perizim. And they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. So the Philistines were troublemakers. I mean, these guys, you, know, you, you don't want to have a reputation of always causing problems. And this was the Philistines. You know, well, whatever they touched, whoever they dealt with, they just were always, now they're looking for David. Uh, and they want to take him out. They hear of David's success. And what they didn't want was Israel now to be out from under their yoke. Remember, the Philistines were dominating the Israelites. They probably had them under subjugation in many places. The other thing that we can look at is that 
Every time the, the Lord is doing a work through you, be prepared for the Philistines to be looking for you. You know, if the Philistines are a type of evil, trust me, you know, when you have your mountaintop experiences, there's somebody looking to climb up the mountain with you, and it's not a good thing. So get ready for the attack, the attack of the Philistines. They will always be on the heels of a person trying to do the work of the Lord. What's also significant was that that David now was the leader, so they were going to take him out. If they could try to take him out, that the rest of Israel would wither away. And, and they did that before, thinking they would do it again, but of course it didn't happen this time. Now, verses 17 through 19, David goes through the stronghold for protection and seek the Lord. It was a tactical retreat. We also see David employing prayer again. We also love to see David just stop, retreat, get down on his knees and, and implore the Lord, what should I do? Should I attack them? Should I not? Will you be with me if I attack them? Because I don't want to go if you're not with me. Right? And there's going to be times in our life where, we again, this is this constant thing, where sometimes we, we, we're being successful and we start to move away from the Lord, not being mean, not intentionally, but we just now start relying on ourselves. And then there's problems. Um, then we have to regroup. And I mean, believe me, there's times in my life where things happen and I actually, in my prayers, I say, you know what, Lord? I should have known uh, because I haven't been praying about this as much as I should have. It's always good to be honest with the Lord. He knows the truth anyway. Uh, so there's just been times where I just stop and I'm like, All right, I get it. I, I blew this one. You know, please help me to recover from it. And verse 20, it's a great day when the Lord fights your battles. Right? There's a, you know, a, a breach in the line of the enemies and uh, the Lord allows David to be victorious. Now, in 1 Chronicles 14, another parallel scripture, it adds this, that it was God who did it, but he used David. It's very specific that David was used as God's instrument, and that's the way it should always be. Whether it's Joe or John or Harold or Vivian, we can be the instrument that God uses, but he's got to be the power behind the instrument. Sometimes we have the attitude where we're all that, you know, and it, that shouldn't be the case. We're just the instrument. And if the instrument starts not to work and the blade gets dull, God puts it down and he finds another instrument to use. And that'll fix our wagon, right? So to be keyed into the Lord, to be giving him the credit, to have the mindset that I'm just the instrument, that's the way it should be. And verse 21, David carries away these false gods and another... Um, translation says that they destroyed them and you know Israel was involved in a lot of superstition and I think this was more of a sign to the Israelites this is my conjecture than the Philistines because Israelites had had, had got into living in fear they weren't living in faith anymore they were they became superstitious so this was really significant oh look at that all those gods all those little you know not plastic because they didn't have plastic back then stone and, and you know, marble, all these gods, the Philistines were running away and they left their gods on the battlefield. Look, here's the gods, let's destroy them. See, they don't mean anything. They try to take away, he tried to take away that superstition. Verse 22, last few verses. Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord and said, uh, inquired of the Lord, he said, you shall not go up circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. 
So it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly, for then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. So the Philistines, they don't give up easy. And you know what? The flesh doesn't give up easy either. When you start praying and you start seeking the Lord and you want to clean things out of your life, the flesh tries so hard to reestablish a hold in you. And we've all experienced that. Well, we just gotta, it doesn't give up easily. When you raise your hand to serve the Lord, evil, the flesh, the devil, people around you, you know, this is what's going to start to happen. Now, I, I like this because he asks, well, should I, can I go up against them? And God says, no, basically, not this way. Let me show you a better way. And in our lives, there's going to be times where God says yes, but not now. Or yes, now, but not the way you want to do it. I have a better way. I love that about the Lord. And we have to be listening to that. Sometimes we get so excited about the green light that we forget which road we're supposed to be on, you know, and it causes a traffic jam. Not good. God always has a better plan. Now, as I look at this, I see that the other issue is God doesn't tell him to fight them head on. There's this kind of routing that takes place, and there's a flanking, and, and I didn't see the playbook, but I'm going to guess on the battlefield that there were some obstacles in the trees, so they had maybe some stay you know, facing them, and others secretly went around behind the Philistines, and they were supposed to listen for a cue of the sound of marching in, that, in those trees, and then they were supposed to attack. Now, wouldn't it have been easier if God would... Wouldn't it have been easier... You know what, God, David would be like, I'm so confused. Why can't I just kind of fight them head on? There's going to be times that God wants us to do some of the work. Right? That's what I see in here. But God's God. He could have not... David didn't even have to take a step. God could have just went, three, two, one, mushroom cloud. You know what I'm saying? But he didn't do it that way. He could have said, well, go face them head on. They're going to, they're going to lose. I'm going to cause confusion. He didn't do it that way either. He wanted David, there was a certain way he wanted it done. And there's going to be times where God is, is very specific with us. And we've got to listen for his instructions. Not just the green light, but there's a little bit more to the green light. A little more strategy involved. I love that about God. You can never find a God formula. People have been doing that for, trying to do that for thousands of years. Well, if I pray this way, well, if I get down on my knees instead of laying down, well, if I shut the TV off versus, you know, go outside... God's not a formula God. Um, because then what we would do is we'd put him in a box and we would have him very convenient. He'd be the little genie that we rubbed. He'd come out when we need him. We'd tell him what to do, then tell him to get back in the bottle. It's not how it works. It's not how it works. So whatever happened, the Philistines were demoralized. They panicked. Um, at the tops of the mulberry trees, it probably was something supernatural. You know, David, now they're on the back, and they're watching the backs of the Philistines, and all of a sudden they hear, jump, 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 jump. Wow, that's cool. Oh, uh, that's the cue. Let's go get them. Could have, it could have freaked the heck out of the Philistines. Uh, pretty impressive. God's army, maybe. I don't know. As we close, a few things. Number one, <clears throat> David had a difficult job. Leading the children of Israel was no small task. Sometimes it was an outside enemy. Sometimes it was an internal enemy. Sometimes it was the children of Israel causing him problems. Um, and certainly, nobody was doing him favors by just executing people that didn't agree with him. 
that's not what he was looking for. And what it does show us is that being a leader is not an easy job, and we must be submitted to the Lord. Because in David's instance, in his instance, there were those under him that were very qualified, but they weren't submitted to the Lord. Both Abner and Joab were men of the flesh, I'm convinced. Joab was doing most of the winning. So we have to be submitted to the Lord. Now I talk about whether you run a business, whether you're a, a, an authority figure, whether you're in ministry, whether, whatever the case may be, you're leader of your family, we've got to be submitted to the Lord because some under us may not be, and we can't count on that. Two, David may have even realized at one point, you know, all those years of striving and living off the land and for years, you know, I'm running from Saul and I'm really frustrated. At this point, he might have thought, gee, adversity prepared me. As Pastor Vinny spoke on Sunday about the adversity with the storm, how many have come out of the woodwork not only to survive on the other end of the spectrum, to help others, to survive in that adversity. Adversity is a life, and failure, sometimes two of the greatest teachers that we ever have. And David might have fallen apart had he not had to survive for so many years. So it was good training. Number three, uh, leadership looked easy. Maybe even David thought that leadership looked easy. But when he got into office, he realized this is not an easy job. Um, I can only say that uh, I've been in different organizations and you know, being on the side where I'm looking up to a leader, maybe, and I'm, I'm just going to say it frankly, there's been times where I've said, oh, I could do that better, or why are they doing this? Not until I got into a position of leadership did I realize, but it's not as easy as it looks. Uh, so, you know, this is what's going on here. So that's what we have. Whether it's, again, political, spiritual, business, an authority figure, leadership's not easy, and we must be submitted to God in order to be successful. Let's pray. Father.